0: We got this banger panel. It's about to get real spicy. And I'm just going to pass it over to David Zell to keep this thing going. Thank you. All right. Go, Give these guys a round of applause. <laughs>
1: All right. Whoa, it's working now. This is the Flared Gas Mining Panel. Uh, let's start with some introductions.
0: Yeah, um, Brent Whitehead. Uh, Co founder of Giga Energy. Giga Energy is a vertically integrated Bitcoin mining company that primarily focuses on flare gas. Um, we build all of our stuff in house and we're based out of Beaumont, Texas. Uh, Steve Barber,
2: I'm a chess grandmaster. I whooped David's ass twice out in the lobby. So if anyone wants to challenge, I'll, I'll be out there later. Um, I own upstream data similar to Giga here. I sort of describe us, if anything, as horizontally integrated. Uh, I only care about one thing, is building Bitcoin infrastructure for people.
3: Um, So trying to build out on the horizontal level. Uh, I'm Troy Cross. I'm a philosopher, uh, academic philosopher. I'm a fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute. My uh, wife, when people ask her what I do, says I'm a Twitter influencer. Uh, (laughs) And um, some of you know me as the uh, chief enforcement Officer of ESG and reporting directly to the Bitcoin CEO. (laughs)
1: All right. This is going to be a great panel. Show of hands, how many of you know what flare gas mining is? All right. We can skip question number one. (laughs) Who are you? Oh, I'm I'm David. Hi.
0: Uh,
1: So, One question that I want to start with, uh, and I think this would be good for Brent and and Steve to tackle, talk to us about the total addressable market of flare gas mining. And I guess the specific question I have is, what do the economies of scale look like with this form of mining compared to industrial scale Bitcoin mining?
0: Um, So right now, globally, there is 5 trillion cubic feet of gas flared each year. Um, roughly that's enough to power the entire continent of africa it's a little uh confusing though because that's not not every flare is able to run a bitcoin mining facility right uh some of this is offshore so you know i'm sure steve's figuring out how to do this offshore but to this date i don't know of anyone mining out in the ocean uh some of this is intermittent so you always hear about the permian basin being a a flared hot spot um, the Permian Basin typically actually doesn't do a lot of routine flaring. It's typically system upset. There's actually really good in- energy infrastructure there. Um, but when you when you start looking at it, I, I would say it's still uh, probably at least 10 to 15 gigawatts of, of addressable market that's routinely flared. A lot of that would be international. I would say that the The market domestically in the United States is a lot smaller than what people realize. Uh, But when you start looking at places that don't have energy infrastructure, those flares are roaring 24-7 every single day. And these are also places that make a lot of their revenue from oil and gas. So they're not going to stop producing their oil. And a lot of them have taken initiatives to cut down on flaring because the World Bank has kind of made different stipulations and they've they've made different initiatives. And uh, for these people to stay involved in some of the stuff they want to, they have to, they're going to have to figure out how to cut down on the flaring. Uh, So I feel like that's where the flare gas market is currently migrating towards is going to be your large national oil companies uh, globally.
2: On top of like the total addressable market in terms of total energy, uh, what's reported isn't exactly what happens in real life um, I've seen witnessed through my oil field career plenty of unreported venting and flaring of oil and gas um, oil companies generally you know do their best to report properly but uh, depends on the size depends on the need you know if if you're just about out of business uh, you might not report exact numbers and you know uh, when people do like modern technology when they're doing like f- flyovers and using modern satellite technology they are seeing that you know estimated volumes are a lot higher than what are on the books so even when you talk about like Tam total addressable market it's actually quite a lot bigger than uh, the numbers say uh, and then when you look at like a flare in general uh, just because it's being flared doesn't necessarily mean it's a liability to the the owner of that gas um, if you're routine flaring uh, because you have a compliance need to do that you, you know the the regulator saying, you have to flare the gas and you go install a flare. Well, you're now compliant. Um, they're happy doing that. I mean, it is energy and value getting pissed into the wind. But at the same time, it might not no longer be a liability to that company. And so you cannot just go in and get that gas for free. Um, so there is an angle on like what the Bitcoin miner is. And you have to be the service provider to that, If if we're talking specifically flares. And uh, interesting enough, like our company in throughout our history, most of our deployments were not on flares. they're on vent like before they're flared before they install, and a lot of that has to do with the size and the product we designed for that purpose. but uh, what you you will commonly see, and I've seen with a lot of our clients uh, who buy our stuff and they have a contract with the oil company, you know they they're going after flares, and they might not be oil and gas people at the start. they turn into oil and gas people, but you know, they might end up paying for for gas, and at that point, uh, are they really the service provider? Who's the service provider in that situation? And so it, it, it's sort of a little more complex than it might seem on surface. And there's a lot of pitfalls you can
1: fall down. So I'm not like an expert in flare gas mining, but it feels like the fundamental tension is that you have access to incredibly cheap power and energy. Uh, but it's difficult to reach the same economy of scale that a traditional industrial mining facility would. So, could one of you guys kind of just compare and contrast broadly uh, industrial mining versus flare gas mining?
2: All right. Um, well, I mean, any any uh, use of energy really has. I, I sort of like lump it in. Say four components. You have a you have to generate power. Uh, you have to distribute uh, power, um, and you have to Use the power. I guess that's only three. What's the what's the fourth one? Oh, the fuel. You have the energy that you're turning into generation. So you have energy generation, distribution, and load. Right. It's four components of every mining operation. Um, so I mean, any you can pick any miner, any company in the world, and they might be using like integrated with all four aspects of that system, or they might be just the end user. They might just be we only own ASICs, right, and they're getting hosted by someone with all the other infrastructure. So the the capex requirements, the risk basis is based on like, you know, what aspect are you in that chain, from the source of energy to the sink of energy, and uh, even in oil field, like even in flaring, and that's where it it, it varies as well. Because you know, my company, I usually require the oil company to own; uh, they already have the energy, but I usually require them to also own the generation. For example, uh, we don't usually supply that for or finance that, um, but there there's and but every business I've worked with has a variation on that. Um, you know, they they own it themselves, or they own nothing, or just the Asics. There's there's a lot of variations. But so, yeah, uh, every I forget the original question at this point. But everything everything is a little convoluted. It just depends on where you're at in the system. And, and how does it compare to grid? Well, grid most of the time, but you're seeing it now more and more. And you're certainly certainly seeing the narrative about call it the vertical integration, the miners owning the generation. Uh, and we have seen that, I think, like I think uh, stronghold is an example. Like they have a, a clean coal power plant. Uh, I think they own it. Um, maybe they don't own the coal mine, but you know they're they're further upstream in the stack. And so uh, there is a difference, but maybe Marathon is more on the lines of just owning the Asics. Like they don't own some of the stuff we normally own like the the load centers, the mines themselves. So
1: all right. Troy, when you're, uh, filing your ESG report to the CEO of Bitcoin, uh, what do you say about the, <laughs> what do you say about the potential for flare gas mining to like decarbonize the network or maybe more broadly, what are the environmental impacts of flare gas mining?
3: Yeah, well, it's complicated. I mean, we have different forms of mining on gas. You mine on stranded gas, you're net CO2 positive and, um, there would be many media stories written about you. And uh, you mind on flare gas, you are also emitting CO2 in combust- combusting CO4, but the gas that you're combusting is um, a highly warming greenhouse gas. It's 84 times as warming as CO2 over a couple of decades, and it's 20 25 times as warming over a, a, a century. So you are CO2 equivalent negative even though you are CO2 positive, which is the source of endless confusion. You know, we, we could have actually measured warming in CH4 units and then said you're you know CH4 negative when you abate carbon or whatever, but we've chosen CO2 as the unit, leading to much confusion. So when you burn methane that would otherwise be vented, you are massively CO2e negative And when you burn methane that would otherwise be flared, it gets complicated. How CO2e negative you are depends on what that flaring operation would look like and how efficient it is. And that varies dramatically depending on uh, the flare part of the world, the weather, and so on. And all we have to go on are, I have read read these studies, (laughs) incredibly varied numbers uh, from different sources. can cherry pick as you choose. Uh, DigiEconomist picks the numbers that say we're already at 99% efficiency everywhere. Don't worry about it. And um, you know, the coin industry reports will pick this number from 68% efficiency from flare gas fl- flaring in Alberta uh, under typical wind conditions. Right? And then, then it's a reasonable number somewhere around 91 or 92% worldwide. So uh, how CO2E negative you are uh, varies a lot. But there's a further complication, which the Fudsters won't let you forget about, which is that you might be providing another source of revenue to um, oil and gas extraction, which is itself going to be CO2 positive. So could, it's a, anything but a simple picture. And this is why you know mining on landfills is like so appealing, because uh, there are a lot of landfills that are not right now, even capturing the gas. They don't even have a GCCS system installed. The smaller landfills, they're not flaring. They're just venting. And so it's pretty easy to quantify how much gas you're capturing and what you're you're converting. Also, landfill gas itself, uh, when you burn that, you're producing CO2. But that CO2 is not counted uh, by the EPA because it's organic matter decomposing, and that CO2 would have already escaped anyway. Yes, it's clown world, I know. Just hold on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, So uh, you can just like, you can say all of that is CO2e savings. And then, I mean, here's why you go down this rabbit hole, because that multiple is so large that when we think about the carbon impact of the Bitcoin mining network as a whole, and yes, I realize it's zero, uh, because we just use electricity, but the indirect effect um, on on warming gases, uh, given that large multiple, very small amounts of uh, vented methane being mitigated, uh, make a huge impact. And you know, conceivably, and I I can't nail this number down for various reasons, but ballparkish, ballparkish, maybe a thirtieth of the network on vented methane and the entire network is carbon neutral and more than that and it's carbon negative equivalent and then holding bitcoin is a carbon negative activity which means the more you hold of it the more you are reducing global warming which is would be a nice thing you know if we eventually ever got there so anyway that's, that's why the, the impact is so potentially large and outsized. And the questions that these operators here can answer is like, how realistic is any of this? Because the theoretical numbers we have are on like the size of like the total, you know, look at the Cambridge site. We got eight times as much energy being flared on oil and gas fields alone as the entire Bitcoin network uses. And then you realize that flaring is only like what 2% of all mining. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. So we could do 50 fold times another eight. Holy crap. Like you could, you know, and, and then so you, you think, and you can do the same similar with, with methane on landfills. And then that sort of back of the envelope uh, calculation runs into operational realities, which are vastly, vastly different
1: either of you want to comment on that?
3: <laughs> no,
2: definitely not. <laughs>
3: uh, I
2: mean, yeah. I mean, the world, the world is on the carbon accounting standard. I mean, that, the, wor- the fiat world. Um, and that's where the money flows from. So even though I disagree with uh, the carbon accounting narrative, uh, even my company complies with it. I mean, when I do a pitch to an oil company, and especially these big ones, they're all ESG-focused. And you will find in my pitch deck that we are reducing your emissions. Your carbon footprint is reduced. Um, I generally you know, advocate not to uh, legitimize carbon accounting because I think it's a fraud. Uh, I, I sincerely believe that. Um, I think what's more important in society, I've said it a lot uh, on many different panels, is what actually matters is waste reduction. Uh, waste in the general sense, human labor. Uh, resource waste, uh, materials waste, uh, not wasting things is a good thing. You know, I remember uh, growing up in grade school, they talked about Native uh, Canadians would use every aspect of the animal, and and you know, modern, you know, the white man came over and shoots it and leaves a lot for scrap, right? Like that was a common look. How wasteful we become, right? And for for me, it's it's really about waste reduction, and that's what we do. As Bitcoin miners in every aspect of the industry, in our niche like the oil and gas, even the landfill stuff, we're talking about waste reduction. It's potential energy going to waste, and we're using it. And we do have limited resources available to us, like based on you know the human manpower, human manpower across the globe. So using 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 it wisely is is what's important. And uh, that's why I generally don't. Uh, early days, I actually really preach the the carbon reduction thing, like. Everything Troy's saying, like the we use about 25X for like methane uh CO2E reduction because that's like the
3: EPA's it's, number.
2: It's the EPA's number, yes. Yeah. So we just base it on what uh, the actual accountants are saying we should use. And in all my early decks, that was like the focus. That's how I was trying to get my message out there when the oil companies thought I was a wacko. Um, but you know, it 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 is what resonates. Um, but you know, when I when I preach the gospel here about Bitcoin or anywhere. I'm more, I'm more personally focused on the reduction of just wastage in any form that might be. But everything Troy is saying is legitimate. And that is the – I think we do have a difference of opinion on the validity and legitimacy of what he's saying. But in the end of the day, we're, we have to play the fiat game, and you can't flip the, flip the board. So.
1: Yeah. And speaking of playing the, the fiat game, you were telling me yesterday about some of the difficulties that you've been facing on the regulatory side in Alberta. Where you're doing activities that are net decarbonizing and being asked by the local government to pay a carbon tax on top of that. <laughs> Can you maybe kind of relay that story quickly before I toss another question to Troy about regulation?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'll just put it in a nutshell. And and I mean, you you're yourself as part of the policy institute dealing with bureaucrats, right? Like there's always these weird, you know, weird things going on. But in, in a in a nutshell, um, we deploy a Bitcoin mine on a vent. So it's, it's the most carbon reduction you can possibly do, OK, because it's being vented. It's methane into the air. The, the CO2 equivalent is huge, right? Now, they get to report less uh, venting and flare, or in this case, venting uh, volumes to the government. That's a great thing for them. But currently, they don't have a carbon tax on venting. That is changing. But up until recently, they have no carbon tax on venting. They are exempted in Canada because we have a carbon tax in Canada. As soon as I sell them a generator and you have a stationary power generation package on that well, even though they're reducing the reportable vent volume and the equivalent CO2 by an immense amount for the capital they put in, like you can't get a better return on carbon reduction versus the capital they put into my equipment, as soon as it becomes stationary power generation, another government arm. Which is not the same regulator. It's a different arm of the, you know, the tentacle of the government. Uh, they're they're saying you have to pay carbon tax on that. So my the oil company clients I have up until recently, it might be changing in 2023. I'm trying to get some clarity on that. They're actually paying carbon tax on reducing their carbon. It's a it's a fiat clown world that we live in. So. <laughs>
1: And Troy, going off that, um, you know, flare gas mining came up in the infamous White House OSTP report. It's been something that I know you've talked with lawmakers, staffers, policymakers about. Can you give us a sort of sense of the, this is a ridiculously broad question because I want you to go wherever with it, but can you give us a sense of how regulators are thinking about flare gas mining? Yeah, well,
3: first of all, I just want to endorse what Steve said and, uh, I want to say that I also feel the same way about carbon accounting, that it's extremely gimmicky um, and introduces a lot of inefficiencies. I see Bitcoin mining in particular as kind of achieving the same things that carbon accounting together with state incentives are trying to achieve, but just naturally and without all the bureaucracy in between. Um, In terms of where, when I talk to people about flare gas mining, um, they Their baseline, and this comes to why a why big carbon accounting can be cl- clownish, their baseline against which your activities are being judged are constantly shifting with their expectations. So, for instance, you, you see a vent, they see something that shouldn't exist in the first place and should be handled by some other means through some like subsidy and capture. And so they're like, if you burn that, uh, you're not. You know, you're you're not saving carbon over the vent option. You're you're just a, a poor substitute for the other policy solution that we actually ought to have. Let me give you this: the backdrop for this. So, COP twenty-seven just happened in Egypt. There was a methane reduction pledge led by the U.S. and the EU. They pledged. Uh, pledged. Right. We know this isn't going to happen. It doesn't have a chance of happening, but it will nevertheless shape our lives. And that it's a tr- dramatic goal. It's um 30 percent less uh, methane worldwide uh, anthropogenic methane uh, by 2030 over 2020 rates so that's like we got seven years to achieve a 30 percent reduction in I'm not on the on the field I don't know what that looks like but that sounds ridiculous to me as a goal. And then also the oil majors, right? You look at their stated, they belong to different groups that have made pledges on reduction of methane, and they're incredibly ambitious. Basically, their baseline for methane from oil and gas is like almost nothing by the end of the decade. So when we come in and mitigate methane in that setting, they see that as like, yeah, we're getting that anyway, except their plans all cost a lot of money. Right? <laughs> that's, that's the difference. Uh, So, you know, that's the challenge in communicating. it's the goalposts are always shifting. The baseline is always shifting. So the accounting is always shifting. Like the physics is the physics. You know, you either have CH4 being emitted or you have it being uh, converted into CO2 and water. But the accounting depends on counterfactuals. And, yeah, I said I'm a philosopher. It's weird because I did work on things like causation and counterfactuals in metaphysics, which is my field. I never thought it would Intersect reality, but basically, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's a question of counterfactuals. Like, what would be there if we weren't mining? And I'm just calling to attention to the fact that these grand pledges and goals mean an ever retreating horizon for us on that accounting front, and that's also going to shrink the economics of. Uh, Bitcoin mining on gas, because right now, certain applications, you can get credits for this, right? Methane capture, you can get credits for it. Like the landfill scene, I'll just give you an idea. In, in, funky incentives everywhere. For, for large landfills, they might already be grid-connected. they self tell to the grid. The next tier down, they're incentivized to actually, uh, it, it, you know, pump it into a pipeline if it's there. If it's not there, they're incentivized to sell the, the to compress the gas and, and and ship it and sell it, even though energy-wise, that makes no sense at all because it costs so tremendously much to purify and pressurize the gas and then ship it with fossil, its footprint. It, none of it makes any sense, but that incentive is really rich right now and they're paying a lot more than Bitcoin miners. So companies like Vespin are actually looking at small landfills that are like not even on the EPA database. And so the baseline for those is uh, you know, basically, they're 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 not already required to capture their landfill gas. So, when you when you capture it, then you can get a credit credit for it once you've demonstrated that, right? So that's an example of how the regulations are shaping where Bitcoin mining is going to go. And to some extent, the question of total addressable market is like a question of the goalposts, the regulations, the incentives that are beyond our control. So, Brent, I have a question for you. Um,
1: What do you think? the next 10 years will look like for flare gas mining and specifically do you think flare gas mining will be a driver of the
0: decentralization of hash rate so over the next 10 years i mean even like steve was saying um a couple just a couple years ago people thought we were crazy when you bring up the idea of it and i guess some of them still do think we're crazy when you bring up the concept of it but you know you see publicly traded companies in the oil and gas sector that are looking at mining bitcoin that have already implemented mining bitcoin um, when he's talking about the restrictions that are coming and the regulations that are coming on oil and gas providers and the pledges they've taken, I do think you're going to see where um, it's going to be widespread um, a- across more than just the United States and Canada. Uh, every oil and gas company is going to have some sort of division by 2030, in my opinion, that's doing some type of Bitcoin mining uh, or working with Bitcoin miners to... Um, because I don't think they're going to have a choice right now. I think a lot of places, like he was saying, if they're compliant with their flaring, they they don't really they don't they don't make a lot off of what the gas that they sell, and it's a lot of um, work and capex that goes into doing it yourself completely on a large scale. So a lot of them would just assume to continue to flare it, and then they run into issues where uh, royalty owners would say, "Oh, you you know, I was getting paid zero before, uh, but now this person's mining Bitcoin." I want to get paid full market rate for my gas, right? Well, that person's not paying the full market rate. So there's just a lot of nuances that go into that that I think um, oil companies aren't addressing now, but will have to address. Um, I think that you may see a world in which if an oil and gas company isn't mining Bitcoin themselves in the next couple of years, uh, they may be paying miners to come take their gas because they literally will have to shut in their well if they don't. Uh, I've we've already seen that a couple of times with a few pubcos that we've worked with, that they basically, anything you wanted, you could get. They were even willing to give loans for the generators, whatever, because they were not going to be able to turn on their well unless they were able to find out some solution uh, with the flaring or with the gas that was stranded. Um, I think this is, to me, this is why I get really excited about flare gas, Bitcoin mining, stranded gas, Bitcoin mining, is because it does... Create a more distributed network, uh, and not that I'm against grid miners, but I do think it's fair to say, I I feel as though in my opinion, everyone flocking to Texas, everyone flocking to ERCOT, everyone flocking to the United States, um, long term could pose a risk for Bitcoin mining. Uh, I think when you start adding up all of the, because that's that's why you do flare gas Bitcoin mining, partially from the Bitcoin side is is you don't you're not controlled. Right, you have that insulation. Uh, a lot of pr- a lot of people have probably driven past flare gas Bitcoin mining operations and would have never even known anything was there. It's just a shipping container box, right, on a site. Uh, so, to me, I think that's going to lead to us having a more distributed network uh, that that will create a better network and security for all of us.
1: Steve, you looked like you had thoughts a second ago.
0: I have a million thoughts on
2: everything, man. Um, no, I mean you hit that well. Um, Uh, I do think absolutely. I think honestly, like from what I've seen, uh, from what I've seen since like when we incorporated in 2017 to the present, it's insane the growth of this niche mining industry, like natural gas, generally natural gas, stranded natural gas. Um, Even the guys with, uh, you know, in Tennessee, uh, I'm repping one of our customers, Standard Bitcoin, some good guys over there, they got stranded natural gas wells. These are These are liabilities too, because I mean uh, they're treated as liabilities by governments. Say in Canada, they actually attribute a value on that liability. If you have a sitting gas well, and the taxpayer is obligated to pay that if the if the actual licensed oil company um, goes bankrupt, and these are problems. And if you can, uh, you know, if these you know we call them stripper well operators when you have these mature wells and you got these guys going out pumping these things and they throw a little bitcoin mine on a property on an asset that they can't otherwise monetize and they can generate profit and eventually pay for that liability to actually cut and cap and abandon that well properly and it's not you know sitting on the on on you and i as a taxpayer to front that bill it's it's a really nice thing and and you know, a lot of people criticize that. We we heavily market into that need. Uh, people criticize it because, um, and some some companies in this space won't even touch that um, because they they're they're too concerned about the carbon footprint. But you know, I'm a carbon maxi. I want to see as much carbon produced as possible because the trees are starving, and I want to <laughs> like they're they're starving, and I I want to feed them. Uh, so I'm I'm doing my best to do charity for the best carbon capture technology of all time, which is Mother nature. So, but that's not even a joke. So, (laughs) like that's legit. Um, But you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of liabilities. Troy was talking about like just generally this whole, the liability or the the arbitrage gap that regulation creates. It actually just brings in miners. So if they're gonna, you know, you find some arbitrage where they're not treating one landfill uh, as the same as another. And it's going to give you a financial incentive to go mine that fiat. It's it's all the power to you. I hope to sell you many hash generators in your future uh, in in that endeavor. I mean, so I think that's generally what Bitcoin miners are doing. Uh, they're just they're closing every arbitrage gap that um, effectively you know central authorities open up from inefficient. Uh, just call it inefficient regulation, inefficient law.
1: All right, guys. Let's get closing thoughts from each of you and wrap it up.
3: Oh, I think I've said my bit. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Thank you, everyone.
2: I, I don't have much either. I mean, he just chill. I don't actually have a podcast on coal coming out, but not yet. Uh, <laughs> I, I have been uh, uh, thinking about maybe doing a, a sermon every Sunday after church. When you get home from church, you can listen to me uh, preach all the things about coal you don't you don't know about him. I'd love to teach you about all that. Uh, So you might see me on Spaces soon.
0: So stay tuned. (laughs) Um, I've pretty much said everything as well. I would say the the big thing that I always try to leave with is if you're trying to mine Bitcoin with Flare Gas, you have to own your own power generation. You're never going to make it if you're renting.
1: All right, thanks for the conversation, guys.